Hey, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here with Trevor. How are you feeling tonight? I'm good. I'm feeling um, crunchy. How are you feeling? Crunchy? Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went ice skating this morning. Ooh. I sent, I sent you guys in the group chat. Uh, it's very tiring. I haven't been <laughs> on skates in a while. Yeah, there's certain uh, there's certain stuff. It's not. I, sometimes I feel like uh, activities like that. It's like you don't do something for a while, and it doesn't physically make sense why it's so tiring. Maybe there's like an also a mental component <laughs> of like something like oh you know oh I I go and I run or whatever or I work out or whatever, and then it's like but all of a sudden if I like move a bunch of boxes, I'm like I'm so tired. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it's a it's a foreign movement to you, yeah. but with with skating, it's like your feet have never like your feet don't normally and your ankles don't normally go under that kind of like yeah. torsion. It's weird. Makes me wonder. Cause I'm constantly in search of a decent foot massage. If I ever get massages, I feel like I tell them like do my feet and like do them super hard. And then like, I think a lot of masseuses think that's like beneath them, mm -hmm. but different thing this is all leading to me wondering i bet you that like hockey players and stuff have really good foot massage yeah. <laughs> they probably have probably. like the tip top best <laughs> foot masseuses yeah probably all athletes but hockey players too for sure yeah <laughs> so i want to get as far away from the topic of feet as i can <laughs> <laughs> sure why not <laughs> i do have a couple things to talk about today uh went through some headlines uh checked out what was like you know the book related stuff in the news and i got a headline here from inc.com inc.com mm -hmm. totally totally caters to us and you know congratulates people like us so mm. here we go it says reading just 1.5 books a month will put you in an elite category of super achievers damn <laughs> so it's another one of those like officially made win. it yeah success win like know that sort of thing but mm -hmm. even still it's uh statistically according to a gallup report on the state of reading uh americans read an average of 12 books a year mm -hmm. and oh wait it says a smaller number than they've recorded any survey in 90 so it's kind of on the decline mm -hmm. so 12 books a year like we in the first couple years of the podcast we crushed that I think last year we matched that so. exactly. Last year we matched that, which was a depressing realization yeah. of why we started our new format. Because it was like, oh, we did 12 <laughs> episodes. And it was like, what? Only 12? That's <laughs> monthly. Yeah. A lot of life stuff happened. But that's, this, we were, so we were average last year. So we're trying to, we're going to try to be super mm -hmm. achievers this year. Super achievers. And beyond. So it's another one of those articles where it's framed like, uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders many of whom read anywhere from 11 to 50 books a year and no. they're reading like <laughs> how to be successful yeah the seven habits of uh successful people or whatever yeah stuff like that yeah i don't know there's some stuff like that that i kind of it depends on there's like a thin line that you can cross of being like i don't know if you're reading a book or like consuming a long form article or something. Well, I don't know. I don't know. There's just certain things like how to be a leader and stuff like that. Isn't the same thing as reading like uh, 
you know, a like story, the, like Any kind or, of story. not yeah. even this, not even a story, like how to be a leader versus like, if you're picking up like a, like a complex biography on Abraham Lincoln. So it's sure. like, this guy was a leader, but there's like more nuance than just being like, okay, here's like the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those books always tend to have like some really weak metaphor or really overused mm -hmm. metaphor about like, it's like the ocean or you know some <laughs> shit like that <laughs> yes uh being a leader um so that one i was like eh, i'll just i'll i'll pick that one because it it applauds us for being average last year but uh being excellent <laughs> elite and elite intellectuals uh two two to three years ago <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I got another one here. It's from the LA Times, so your your home My local. hometown paper. Yeah, uh, it's a recent obituary of Mr. Duval Hecht. Okay, Duval Hecht. And uh, so he was uh, he was one of those elite achievers in his oh. life. <laughs> he's one of those guys. Like, okay, he's born in like 1922, I think. So he died recently at mm -hmm. uh, at um, almost 100. Wait, am I supposed to know who he is? Because I don't. No, uh, he's a unspoken hero, and I'll I'll get to reasons mm -hmm. why. But he's one of those guys. He was like, you know, born in 1920 something. He uh, joined the Marines, was like a fighter pilot or something. But then he le then he left and did something like, and then he like was a rower and went to the Olympics or, and he's one of the reasons why like <laughs> rowing is a sport at like USC or whatever. And All then right. he was, be was able to become an investment banker. Like <laughs> it mm. seems like they could just pivot so easily back in the day. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's, it's a totally different landscape now, but so he, he's one of those basically, like basically what you're looking at is the obituary of someone who didn't have Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> how did they do exactly. so much uh because they yeah. didn't fucking sit around yeah so while he was at his banking job in la uh mm -hmm. he would listen to the radio a lot on his commute because you know you guys uh, drive a lot in la as, as i've been been told yes. so he listens to the news he's like oh this is boring as shit he listens he's like oh i've heard this same song like three or four times today which is totally true Radio stations are so bad at mixing it up. Like yep. you hear the same uh, John Mellencamp song like <laughs> four times a day for sure. If you if you just hit scan on the radio, that that you can't get away from. Like uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Like you can't not hear that if you're listening <laughs> to the radio. Definitely <laughs> drive. Um. So he's like, yeah, the commercials are horrible. I just I'm tired of listening to this. So he uh was one of those entrepreneurial minds so he he sold his car uh mm -hmm. to get some funds he hired a college drama coach and he created volume one of a mass what's soon to be massive book on tape catalog which is a recording of george plimpton's uh football story i guess called paper lion okay like a like a football novel but mm -hmm. he uh he was one of the pioneers of uh, books on tape and like literally when it was on cassette tape. Oh, nice. Interesting. Yeah. You know, actually Audible, the current like digital service goes all the way back uh -huh. to that as, as well. That's cool. Yeah. They're like, uh, if you listen, it's a very popular podcast, How I Built This. Uh, Daria and I listen to it sometimes. And it does like the Audible one, like, because a lot of that stuff is like, 
oh, we're we were like you know, you know, college shitheads who thought of Airbnb or 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 thought of Uber or whatever, and then the Audible guy is like a different generation where he was like this business was like we originally like mailed people books on tape. Oh, <laughs> maybe that had something to do with this. I don't know. This Possibly. was uh, so he. I don't know how long he ran this, uh, but he eventually sold it in 2001 to Random House for 20 mil. Mm, okay. So pretty, pretty good. He uh, so it said in the article after he recorded that one story, Paper Lion. He began he put ads in newspapers uh, to kind of you know advertise like, "Are you tired of your commute? Does your commute suck like mine?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and within five years, he was doing like two million in sales and uh tens of thousands of customers but he literally he really worked on the honor system like it was like you rent it pretty much damn (laughs) get it for 30 days he didn't charge your deposit so it was just system of people mailing it back to him nice (laughs) uh so then he started hiring actors and you know that Mm -hmm. sort of thing uh and it said he had one that was he did uh leo tolstoy's war and peace which was a 70 hour long reading mm-hmm. and was 47 cassette tapes <laughs> <laughs> nice so that's insane yes more than it says more than you could fit in a glove compartment and that's very true yeah you'd have to have like a suitcase of just this is my reading <laughs> this is my like you know my audiobook mm-hmm at that point, you know, it's about 10 times the size of the book itself. So, but I was just thinking, you know, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool story. This guy, uh, just, you know, you never hear his, you never, I haven't never heard his name before, but you know, uh, if you Google the, if you Wikipedia Duval Hecht, it's only about him being a rower. Oh yeah. Cause he, he was in the Olympics. Oh. <laughs> he like little won in the Olympics. Interesting. He meddled in rowing or something, but, um, uh, I was thinking about it like, let's put aside, you know, if your voice is good or not. <laughs> is that a job that you would like to do? Would you like to like be paid to read out loud in a studio? Um, I guess I'm into it. I guess what I'm not into, I think the fantasy of it is like, is sort of like a one take fantasy, but it's probably not. Yeah, it doesn't so, seem like work, but it also I I it doesn't seem like work on the surface, but I know that it would be hard. Yeah, and it's fi- and like, it kind of seems like it would suck, especially like okay, an ideal one that pops into my head would be like it would be fun to do Douglas Adams like Hitchhiker's Guide, but then it also feels like there would be like lame like de- depending on the level I guess of like the production and like what the production value is supposed to be, but it seems like it would be really lame if there was some sort of like director kind of like piping in and being like hit that line wackier. Yeah, be like uh, I'm just like want to read this. Although it's funny how like this guy's like book on tape thing it keeps bringing me back to that like podcast we listened to about Audible because there are definitely some books on tape out there that have been produced that the guy from Audible mentioned that seem like very fascinating. Like I think he was saying like there was one where it was like, um. there's been like very high-end actors who will do like fucking like email zola or like other like obscure books and it's like what (laughs) that sounds like pretty awesome (laughs) i think it was like kate winslet you know like from 
Titanic and Mayor of Easttown. It was like she yeah. did like a reading of like an entire Zola novel. And it's like, sounds pretty good. <laughs> like it might be an untapped market for us. Sure. What's the uh, damn? What's the guy who died recently? The villain from uh, Die Hard. Oh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. He, I guess he he did a fair amount of audiobooks, and he has a you know good voice for that. See, exactly. It's like yeah. that's kind of amazing. So yeah, that was pretty cool. So rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Next one, uh, it's an article from the Daily Beast that I missed from. It's from last November, mm. and it's titled "Get This." Thomas Pynchon predicted the pandemic and gravity's rainbow. Now, aren't you sorry you didn't read it? <laughs> so, like, right I'm off sorry, the bat, I'm sorry I didn't pick that up in that, but there's probably lots that I forgot. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, when I read that, I was like, "Did I was like, wait, what part in that is actually like what? Like, I don't remember any sort of virus or any sort of like thing like that, but." And then, you know, I read the article a little bit and it started to make a little more sense, but I'm going to uh, read, you know, read from some of it. But what do you, uh, what do you think right off the bat? You're like, yeah, I, you're like, probably like, oh, I could believe that there'd be something in there. It probably was even named the same thing. Like, <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like someone, like, like a woman named Corona and her boyfriend virus. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, there's definitely the space for some sort of like conspiratorial mega disease, but mm-hmm. that's like kind of maybe one of the detractors you could say about Pynchon is that like in a book like Gravity's Rainbow, there's just like certain images that I remember like super clearly and lots of other stuff kind of gets like filtered out just from yeah. not having enough room in your brain. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that that's kind of where i was at too but let me just read read some parts of the article and let me know if it if it makes sense or if mm-hmm. it sounds like it's a stretch you know mm-hmm. <laughs> for decades pinchin the prodigal prodigy has been criticized for his lack of effect but readers who aren't exhausted by the book's generous excesses should ultimately feel pinchin's disgust with and pity for the human virus quote fathers are carriers of the virus of death and the and sons are the infected so yeah, the human like people are the virus. That okay, that's not so far. It sounds like he's predicting the Matrix, <laughs> not the coronavirus. <laughs> he literally okay. The author literally did quote the Matrix in this. Like he he did put a quote from the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> in this article. So you kind of nailed it. The uh, the quote world just before men Pynchon writes was too violently pitched alive and constant flow ever to be seen by men directly. They are meant only to look at it dead in still strata, transputrified to oil or coal. Alive, it was such a threat. It was titans, was an overpeaking of life so clangorous and mad, such a green corona about mm. Earth's body that some spoiler had to be brought in before it blew the creation apart. So we, the crippled keepers, were sent out to multiply, to have dominion. God spoilers, us, counter-revolutionaries. It is our mission to promote death, the way we kill, the way we die, being unique among the creatures. Mm. So he used the word corona. So that's like, I mean, point. Cr- doesn't corona <laughs> in this sense also mean crown or like, you know, there's like lots of different meanings of the word corona. Yeah, it could be like the the corona around the sun or the yeah. corona around the uh, the bomb when it explodes. Stretching it. I'm saying I'm calling 
thin, <laughs> thin, very thin. <laughs> it's got the words Corona and virus, though. Uh, wow. It's just a different order. So then I'll read some more. To dramatize the consequences of this anthropological and ecological vision, Pynchon sets gravity's rainbow at the end of World War II in the killing, quote, zone of border-broken Europe. Characters from all inhabited continents gather in this zone to hunt the special rocket, uh, what is it, uh, five zero, zero 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 zero, created by Nazi scientists, some of whom would soon move to the U.S. There are also glimpses of concentration camps and a reference to the atomic devastation of Hiroshima. Although about the 20th century's murderous past, as well as human prehistory, the novel and its rocketry really predict the future, our present in which death can surprise us from the sky, flying in from very far away from nuclear weapons or from a diseased bat. Right. Gravity's Rainbow may be the first globalized novel, one that understands the technologies that we humans devise to keep ourselves alive and distant from others can be super spreaders of mass death. And he says, says more, uh, for Pynchon, rockets are not just weapons or carriers, but symbols of all industrialism that mines the coal and pumps the oil to build towers and fuel machines that seem to promote rising above the living critter of planet Earth. Uh, when the rocket is fired in the novel, the rocket is both an act of murder and an act of suicide for a uh, youth rides within it to no return. It's just super thin connection. <laughs> for Pynchon, World War II was just an accelerated incident in humans' long-running long global war on nature. If this seems a truism to all but Republican lawmakers in 2020, please remember, please, that Pynchon was writing his environmental novel 50 years ago. So yeah, pretty thin, but uh, I appreciate anything that reminds me uh, that it's a cool book. Yes. I I believe I made it stronger. I actually wrote a satirical essay for a friend's zine like at the beginning of the pandemic and I I conspired that Eleanor Rigby, the song by the Beatles is about COVID and I think it's much more solid than that article cuz it's about like kind of uh lonely. No, dude. Yeah, everything yeah. in Eleanor Rigby <laughs> sounds like COVID. Trust me. If you, <laughs> and then I like went full like conspiracy theorists and played it backwards, and there are parts that sound like they're saying COVID. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. I'll send it to you. Yes. Yeah, I'll tweet. I'll follow. tweet it out to our millions of followers. Yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, if the Simpsons didn't predict it, I mean that that's probably someone who who made that connection already but yes uh if they did it i bet the beatles could have too mm -hmm. the beatles and the simpsons have covered it all yeah so the last one i've got it is about the oscar nominated movie drive my car have you seen this i have seen this I I knew that you I was hoping that you had and I kind of expected that you had. So uh did you know that it's based on a short story? Of course. It's based on, <laughs> did you know who based, wrote the short story? It's based on several, actually. It's based on several Murakami short stories, like like smashed together, recent ones. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh did you like it? Is it is it good? Here's the thing. <laughs> Daria is going to be mad on me, mad at me because I'll be backpedaling. I'll be pedaling back and forth like a little bit. One, okay. I will, I will come out and say one first off that I actually fell asleep for a short period of time during. Oh the no! So that's a negative right there. 
Well, isn't the whole plot? Isn't the plot like from what I've garnered? Like uh, the driver of the car just doesn't speak that much. So it's a lot of like quiet. Like, no, here's the thing. It's stuff, like the movie. First of all, it's three hours, so it's like okay. an it's like an art film. It's like three hours, but. When, when the movie had finished, Daria loved it. And I was like, I wasn't that into it. Obviously, I had like fallen asleep a little bit. But I was also like, it wasn't super cinematic to me. I was like, oh, this felt like I was watching like three hours of TV, like straight, like through. Um, but I have since kind of like talked about it with like various people, Daria included and some other friends and everything. And there are some aftertaste elements of it that are that are pretty satisfying and pretty good. Um, but the idea that like I don't think it's like a true sort of like tribute to like Murakami or anything. It's it's like a slow cinema sort of thing. The guy who made it is known for slow cinema. Some of his other movies are like five hours long and just yep. about like slices of life and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh Ry Ryosuke hamaguchi first jap yeah. as it says in this article first japanese director to be nominated since akira kurosawa in 1986 which is yeah. pretty awesome yeah but yeah i saw it i initially was like raging about it and kind of didn't like it at all since <laughs> since i've come around like a little bit um there were some decent parts but yeah initial reaction was like meh okay would you watch it again in like a year okay <laughs> what if it win? do you think it'll win best picture i'm a little bit too cynical to think that uh, what's that your pick then what's your picture? pick i have to look at the nominees oh, okay okay let me see uh let me see 2022 best picture yeah nominees. but i was looking at it because uh there i mean there's there have been a few murakami you know stories so, put to film yeah, there have. I haven't seen The Power of the Dog. I haven't seen Belfast. I do like Licorice Pizza, but I don't think it'll win. I saw Nightmare Alley and I thought it was awesome, but I don't think it'll win. Um, I don't think Dune will win either just because like it's too, you know, I just don't think it'll win. Blockbustery. And I will be very, very depressed if Don't Look Up wins because it's a piece of shit. <laughs> but okay um yeah those are my those are my takes i haven't seen coda either coda is supposed to be incredible okay uh, yep thank those you i think those are my inputs <laughs> i haven't seen any i haven't seen any that i've been to the i saw i've been to the movie theater once in the last two years to see uh green knight uh i think you would like nightmare alley it's very um it's cool. It's like interesting. Okay. Sort of it almost feels like Daria was correct in saying that it feels almost like a Hitchcock movie. Okay. For the, the one, modern age. The one I was hearing about that I like I guess isn't on the list was the, that uh Titan movie. Titan. Titan? Titan. Titan. Something like that. Nope. Okay. Dude, I thought it I thought it won some other award, but never mind. Uh so yeah, that that's all I had for uh headlines this week. Cool. Well, it's you're going on in the book world. You're going first, right? That's everything going on in the book world. Damn. Well, there's a lot of banned books <laughs> talk right now, but I didn't really want to get into that today. Banned books, bullshit. Yeah, a lot of a lot of that going on. Maybe we'll cover that at some point. Do you recall that in our? I I want to believe that I'm not making this up, but in the town that we grew up in in Tallinn, did we not have in our school library an actual section called banned books? 
because because like no like it was either the high school or the middle school library i think it was the original Talon high school like library had a thing where it was like here's a section of like books that other like people have like tried to ban throughout history and it had stuff like mark twain Uh, and like other stuff i don't remember that but uh well it's my it's my ultra liberal badge of honor (laughs) Don't take okay. it away. Don't take it away from me. It existed. Yeah. We'll have to contact uh, the librarian from 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that would be cool if we did. I think we did. It's either that or I like took like something inside of like a bookstore and like melted it into my impressions of my sure childhood. But whatever. Yeah. After a hard fall. <laughs> So this week, I did not finish a book. I started a book mm-hmm. uh, about third to uh, half, somewhere oh, in nice. there. 40% I'm in the same through. situation, but I'm only 100 pages in. Okay. Uh, I have started reading a book by Jose Saramago or Saramago. Okay. Uh, who is a Portuguese author. It's been translated into you know a ton of different languages. Cool. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1998. And this book... This book was one of the ones that was noted by the committee when announcing the award. Cool. Uh, so, but since I'm not like all the way through it, I'd figured I'd just be brief today, and I'll wrap, I'll you know get more into it uh, next time. But mm-hmm. let's say you're going through your life completely normally, you know, mm-hmm. driving your car, you're at a red light or something, and out of nowhere, like snap, you can't see, you're just c- completely blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go to the doctor somehow, you know, someone you <laughs> get out of your car and say, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blind. Like, you know, help me. Mm-hmm. Someone drives you home. You go to the doctor. Uh, they don't know what's up right away. So then they send you home and they get back to you. They do some like scans and stuff. And then boom, the doctor goes blind. Shit. Oh my God. Boom, and then, oh no, and then, God. <laughs> and then everyone else who's been in contact with you uh, goes blind. Oh God! How can we? How could you be reading that in this time? <laughs> I know. Well, that it's one of the books that, like, I didn't want to like be like, oh, it's it's totally about uh, coronavirus or this pandemic mm-hmm. and stuff. But it's just like it is one of those books. I think like when things started kicking off, that it was uh, on you know people's lists of like this is mm-hmm. related to the the world right now. But it's called Blindness, and it's but- by Jose Saramago. I bet you Art Garfunkel's reading it right now. <laughs> He's probably read it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty big. I, I mean, it's it's a it's uh translated to English, so I think it came out in 1997. So we'd have to check the archives. But it's essentially it's about contagious blindness without a known cause or wow. a known cure. Very scary. So yeah, I mean, it is very intense right off the bat. So like naturally, naturally the government uh doesn't you know how do you like say that happens to you and you're just a random person how do you get through to someone and say this is real and i'm not crazy i mean the the proof you almost can't but the proof is in the pudding of like if it keeps i feel like if that actually started happening 
there would have to be some like very serious like moral decisions like basically like we just have to like leper colony these people like we can't have the whole world going fucking blind yeah so uh you kind of predicted it there uh, <laughs> so that the government you know once it's kind of shown to be a real thing they you know, try to restrain this by isolating all these people because mm -hmm. they don't know how it's spread they don't know you know it, it, it okay that part i could see it's very similar to how we were dealing mm -hmm. with uh, our virus but so what this book does is it focuses on the first round of people who are you mm -hmm. know shipped off and locked up in an old mental institution to kind of fend for their own mm. uh but the, the thing is hasn't been, uh, it, do you know has there ever been a movie it sounds very there like, has sounds there like has. squid game or something <laughs> Yeah, there has been a movie. I found that out today looking, you know, looking up about it. it I think mm -hmm. it's Jul Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo. So I don't oh, know. If damn. It sounds... <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I think it came out in like 2010 or 2014 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll check it out if I if I like the rest of the book. But so the thing is, the twist here is that everyone's getting it right no one seems to be immune except the doctor's wife the eye doctor's wife mm. uh but she you know she her husband's about to be taken away so she's like yeah you know i'm blind too she 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 just kind of pretends she oh with... interesting interesting yeah so and that's julianne locked... more probably yeah <laughs> probably <laughs> <laughs> and mark ruffalo the the blind doctor <laughs> uh yeah, so she, she she pretends to be, and as far as you know, she's the only one who uh, is immune to it, I guess. Hmm. So I guess now, I'd, since I'm not like far enough into it past this point to, in the story, I, I guess I can talk about the style. Mm -hmm. He doesn't break for dialogue. It's all in the flow of the page with... He uses commas rather than like period. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot... It's a lot like uh, Cormac like, McCarthy. Uh, Cormac McCarthy, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and in this book in particular, he adds to that by not naming. Like the characters don't have proper names. It's more of like the doctor's wife, the doctor, uh, mm. the girl with the dark glasses, the old man with the eye patch, uh, the guys, with the squint. Novels were working with punctuation. <laughs> They've been working with punctuation for centuries. <laughs> and i mean i don't know exactly how it reads uh like in the native language okay yeah, you know yeah, that's portuguese so yeah, it is point. a translation mm -hmm. too on top of being like a unique kind of mm -hmm. pace and uh style so but i don't mind it somewhat and i guess i don't really mind it really with Cormac McCarthy either but I don't I truly don't mind it <laughs> I don't mind it either it just seems like a chip on your shoulder type of thing maybe more with Cormac McCarthy than with like because honestly that setup of like that that almost feels justified of like it's like roll like you have to like keep rolling with it and like oh my god like no one can see and like there's like some sort of like sensation building there whereas with Cormac McCarthy I feel like I don't know. I just feel like he's got a chip on his shoulder. Like, you know, like, oh, fuck <laughs> I'm you. Different. Yeah, I'm, I'm just different. Built, I do whatever I different. want. Except yeah. I'm actually only copying those other guys that Mark read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Warlock and the, the last one you talked about. Yeah. Um, so I'll say, like, 
I'll just read a quick part from Wikipedia that kind of expands on uh, his style. Wait, oh, no. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. Good? Go ahead. I'll just read a quick part from Wikipedia that kind of expands on his style. Like It says, like most works by Saramago, blindness contains many long, breathless passages in which commas take the place of periods, quotation marks, semicolons, and colons. The lack of quotation marks around dialogue means that the speaker's identities or the fact that dialogue is occurring may not immediately be apparent to the reader. Mm. So that's all the, all the stuff that you hate <laughs> summed up. But, Maybe, but it's also cool that it's like semi-confusing because the like the main characters are also very confused. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it that's very true. He kind of he writes it in a way like it's it's strange to kind of think about how you rely on visual stimuli, like even as you're reading. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, like the protagonist, even though the even though like there's someone that has sight he the writer kind of doesn't use visual descriptions about things and he more describes the the other senses mm-hmm. so that's what's like very brilliant about it it's it's a it's a very you know uh it it's a that's that's what makes it very unique i would say okay. uh that's uh, and i really appreciated that part so far and i'm expecting it to get even better because uh I'll get into it after, but there's some reasons for that. And what I've so what I've garnered so far from this book is it's I wouldn't say it's really dystopian, but it's more like it's more like a Lord of the Flies style examination of human behavior because as you can imagine, all these people right, you know, if they were if they were thrown in this uh into basically in an internment like this, uh even with all their senses, it would be a mess, but mm-hmm. they have the, one of their most important faculties taken away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they, they do have to do things like share food and figure out where the bathrooms are and, you know, stuff like that. And yeah, that's cool. Uh, they just have no direction. And on top of that, you know, if they try to leave, they have armed guards that it would kill them. And if they, uh, um, apparently like, if someone gets hurt, they can't, you know, they're not going to send a doctor in to help. So it's mm-hmm. like a simple. Snow blind doctors. Kill you. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, the one guy is just, uh, he's just a, a eye doctor. So he's no, I mean, doctors that yeah. <laughs> already exist in the world, but are blind. Uh, I don't know. All right. I'm not sure. I guess. I that's, mean, I mean, I guess that's kind of true. Like there's there. I mean, I'm sure someone out there on the internet could correct me, but there's probably not like blind surgeons. <laughs> so, yeah. Kind of like an impossible. I know way. that would be, uh, but pretty difficult, but so I'll say like, uh, that's what makes the sensory stuff kind of come out because like <laughs> the whole bathroom thing so far, like they're having trouble with that. Cause it's, not really uh it's not easy access <laughs> and then um you know there's a guy who's injured there and like they can't treat him mm-hmm. so like even just a, an infection can science seem from what i'm reading so far seems like it's going to kill him wow uh and apparently they are tasked with if someone dies they have to like straight up they have to bury them in the in the the community like garden thing or whatever just with no other directions it's uh pretty intense but so 
I will let you know how this story unfolds. I imagine uh, it sounds pretty addicting. More, yeah. There's going to be more and more people added, or uh, there's going to be too much widespread blindness that they'll basically uh, not be in isolation anymore because everyone's affected. So we'll see. Uh, cool. But uh, I don't have a one-star review until I'm done with the. But I did. Uh, I just saw a quick, quick thing from a five-star. Okay. You, and I'll get the one star next week. There are no teenage chosen ones to pull us back from the brink of extinction. No armed to the teeth Rambos to drive back the forces of evil. No scientists to discover a cure by the 25th hour. And I'll add, you know, a redheaded characters <laughs> that are. <laughs> Honestly, whoever wrote that review sounds like they're starting their own book. That was some pretty decent writing. <laughs> Actually, wait, Julianne Moore. To so maybe <laughs> maybe in the in the movie it's yeah. like she didn't you know she's immune because or maybe by the brilliant end, red hair by the end of the book it's all just going to culminate into like your red hair it's special <laughs> you have red hair <sighs> yeah only the redheads will survive <laughs> I will nice. see I'll let you know next week so uh, what'd you read. Cool. Uh, I'm in the same situation as you. Uh, loving the new format because I didn't feel like, oh my God, psychotic pressure to finish this book, but we can still record. I'm 100 pages into um, a book that is kind of like, you know, subverting your expectations. So obviously judging a book by its cover is one of our number one pastimes. Yeah. And I... I picked up this book and since it's like, basically it's a vintage classic, right? And you know what they all look like, you know, with the sure. black and, you know, half the cover is, you know, just like solid colors and stuff and something about a vintage to me just kind of means like, Oh, like maybe it will be some sort of like, you know, Wuthering Heights or, you know, something like kind of more like, rooted in something classic or whatever which is obviously not true they do editions of a lot of different stuff and i think i was in a used bookstore i don't remember which one where this was a, an employee recommendation or had some sort of like something pointing at it right mm -hmm. and i was like oh like a vintage like cool like whatever let me look at the inside cover i probably paid i don't even know not much i'll put it three dollars at Dave's okay. Dave's old bookshop. Anyway, nice. um, so I read this book, uh, started to read this book called London Fields by Martin Amos. Have you heard of Martin Amos? Uh, yeah, that's the younger son. That's the son of uh, Kingsley Amos, uh, who I covered on this podcast. Uh, Lucky yeah. Jim. Yeah, exactly. I knew that you had covered Lucky Jim because yep. the only thing I didn't want to Wikipedia too deeply but I was like, oh, his like dad and his stepmother was also like an author. But yeah, Kingsley Amos and uh, Lucky a, Jim. a friend of the pod, Neil Burns, uh, who we you know talk to on Twitter sometimes. Yeah, he his, said to his read favorite money. book is Money. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so, so what money. Did you read? So money is from 1984. I think Destiny brought. I think all those things baked into my brain, and then I didn't remember them but then i was like oh martin davis london fields this one's yeah. called london fields so money is from 1984 and london fields is from 1989 um yeah it's he's definitely cool he is definitely in the camp of um 
what was that the quote that the guy made about zadie smith like emotional realism or something like that what was uh, it spectacular realism. spectacular realism so he's definitely like solidly in there and that was interesting when i first started reading it because of the whole judging a book by its cover vintage international thing i was like i thought i was gonna read like literally in my head i was like london fields like some like older book um <laughs> and then cool. yeah so then what it is and uh the quote on the front of the book actually from time magazine definitely uh gives it some sort of vibe it says an uninhibited high energy performance um which is definitely true the way it's very readable like it's extremely readable even to the point where have you ever read like uh the like books where it seems to have like a voice of its own like in your head like it starts like rolling forward like in this like way and i guess that's a high compliment for an author right like it has its own voice but what's interesting about amos and i think you know once i started reading i get the pinchin vibes right i get the zadie smith vibes even though he predates zadie smith and was probably definitely an influence on her but i get those vibes and i was like rolling into this book and being like uh you know, because there's things in there, there's like ridiculous names and stuff. Like one of the kids, one of the guys in it, his baby is named Marmaduke. <laughs> and, you know, like and things like that, like one of like there's other Lorenzo people. suitcase. Yeah. And there's like another <laughs> they're like one of like the maids in one of the houses is it like someone is rich and they have maids and her name is like Auxiliadora and <laughs> shit like that. So I was like, OK, OK, like here we are. These are all these things. But within that, um, like within that context, I feel like I've been trained that oh this is gonna be like i'm gonna see this character for like half a page and then they're gonna like disappear or like reappear you know that kind of thing like lots yeah. of characters like lots of things like whatever but what i appreciate about this book so far i'm only 100 pages in but what i appreciate so far is that it's a lot tighter than the other people who write like him so what's happening in the book is it's first of all it breaks the fourth wall the like the main character of the book is writing the book and he's like, okay. and he's like, are you ready for chapter two? Because it's going to be sick. And then like chapter two starts and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe it. I'm like getting over my writer's block. Like, here's what's going to happen. And, uh, and it's really good. But then the story is supposedly that we're hurtling towards like this woman who has like predicted her own murder. And it's like, oh, like, I've always known that someone was going to murder me. And like, this is the person who is going to murder me, like, blah, blah. But the person who's predicting her own murder is not the writer of the book. The writer is like an impartial sort of like observer who knows these people. And it all circles around like a like a bar in London, um, which, of course, pulls on my heartstrings. Because they're going down around different areas of London. And um it's pretty interesting so far. I think another quote um, from also from the back of the book uh, is pretty good. A comic murder mystery, an apocalyptic satire, a scatological meditation on love and life of love and death and nuclear winter by turns, lyrical, obscene, colloquial and rhapsodic. So it's definitely true scatological in the sense of like, you know, dealing with shit and feces and sure. stuff like 
so he's inappropriate like he's like a, he's like a proudly sort of like inappropriate dude there are turns within character like he'll have you liking a character and then rattle off a few things that are like deeply disturbing like i've already had one gut drop where i was like oh fuck like this is like fucked up so <laughs> there's like a little bit of stuff like that and also you know I mean, it's published in 1989, but there is, he's a little bit so far, he's like a little bit kind of like a randy author. He's a little like <laughs> horny, like sometimes, you know, like, so like the main character, like one of the main characters, Nicola Six, of course, um, is, you Nikki know, Six. That's, yeah, uh... <laughs> Nicola Six, Nikki Six. Um, yeah. So, you know how like, uh, and honestly, probably it also probably is a reference. You know how in Infinite Jest, yeah. you, no, you know, you know how in Infinite Jest, there's like the woman who's the goat, the greatest of all time, like yeah, the, like the most attractive woman in the world, uh, the peepoat or something. What is yeah. that? Pretty prettiest girl of all time. Yeah, yeah, like something like that. And it's like if you ever, you know, if you saw her naked, your brain would like melt into jelly and stuff like that. And like so, the mate like Nicola Six is like has those sort of vibes, but then it's like. Then there's also like a chapter where it's like about how she enjoys anal sex. And it's like, okay, Martin Amos, like, you know, like, do we need this? Like, <laughs> do we not need this? Who cares? Kind of thing. So there's like a little bit of kind of like horniness. There's like sexuality in it, which is not a crime. But then, you know, and it's very like drives forward and interesting. Like that baby that I mentioned, Marmaduke is like a piece of shit. And like, you know, he's like a like a devil child that like this new couple is trying to raise him. And there's like some really funny scenes um, and just really funny stuff in general. But what I like about him most in that, um, you know, emotional. What did I say? Realism? How come I can't remember it? Fantastical realism. Yeah. In, extraordinary realism, in that envelope of fantastical realism is that he's so far he seems to be to me to be one of the tightest like there's only like five or six like characters that you need to really like hold on to and grapple on to and it keeps like cycling between them um which seems pretty awesome i mean even mm -hmm. zadie smith with white teeth was sort of like that but it seemed like a little bit more like out there and expansive again i'm only 100 pages in so we'll see if i completely like turn tails on that but so far it's been like a very kind of like funny thrill ride of like very hilarious situations that's cool i mean it's it's hard to imagine you know I, I guess that happens a lot where an author, their parents or one of their parents was an author mm -hmm. that kind of like, it's family so you're wondering, I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering like what books he read at an early age, like what books were maybe forced upon him. At early uh, age. It actually says, I mean, I don't know where it comes from on Wikipedia, but it's not an early age. It said, he said, it says he read nothing but comic books until his stepmother novelist elizabeth jane howard so also stepmother was a novelist introduced him to jane austen his earliest influence wow okay so apparently he was rebelling against the family business by being like whatever i'm just gonna like read spider-man yeah <laughs> and then well it's also like your dad is not just an author but an active author so he's probably like kind of mm -hmm. busy all the time <laughs> you know like I'm, i'll be in my study mm -hmm. just you know read your comic books exactly yeah that's cool though 
No, yeah, it's I, and it's really good. It's really kind of nice. I'm tr I'm trying to see if I can find like my I love the baby Marmaduke. He's so like, he's <laughs> like it's funny how like he's like a jerk or whatever. <laughs> Problem child. Yeah. You're looking for a section to read? Yeah, I was kind of looking. I didn't mark anything down, but I was looking for a section to read. But I do think, you know, I could even start like just from the very beginning of the book and you can see how kind of like, you know, it's very easy to read. I'll read the first couple paragraphs. Yeah. This is a true story, but I can't believe it's really happening. It's a murder story, too. And I can't believe my luck and a love story, I think, of all strange of all strange things so late in the century so late in the goddamn day this is the story of a murder it hasn't happened yet but it will it had better i know the murderer i know the murderee i know the time i know the place i know the motive her motive and i know the means i know who will be the foil the fool the poor fool also utterly destroyed and I couldn't stop them, I don't think, even if I wanted to. The girl will die. It's what she always wanted. You can't stop people once they start. You can't stop people once they start creating. What a gift. This page is briefly stained by my tears of gratitude. Novelists don't usually have it so good, do they? When something real happens, something unified, dramatic, and pretty sellable, and they just write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's like kind of a like roller coaster ride of all stuff like that where it's just like oh there's this guy there's this girl there's this thing oh my god <laughs> yeah he's he's really good yeah i liked how you were saying like uh chapter chapter two is gonna kick ass are you ready <laughs> <laughs> no yeah it's really good it's really it's like it's like so you've just like made your way through chapter one and like i'm almost to chapter six but chapter two is gonna be great <laughs> i like that yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think I have one book by him uh, in my collection. It's uh, Times Arrow, which I haven't uh, haven't read, but I think it's I think it's like uh, uh, I seriously I think do it, think I read backwards or something, or it's something like that. I seriously do think that you a combination of you doing Lucky Jim and Neil, our fan, telling us about money must have baked into my brain. Like, oh, Martin Amos, and then I just like forgot about it picked it up and then it was like i was like that's my next quote-unquote serious read and so far it's been yeah pretty pretty nice cool yeah, yeah keep going yeah for sure well we always think that our new format episodes are going to be a little bit shorter but i i mean maybe this one is just a little bit shorter but i think we're almost at an hour um so yeah thanks for listening everyone this has been shitty book reports you can find us pretty much everywhere where podcasts are free spotify yeah. soundcloud instagram stitcher twitter uh we mostly update on twitter you can find us on instagram too sbr the podcast you can also email us sbr the podcast at gmail.com and uh we'll catch you next time yeah thanks